From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your host, Steve Politi, and Rutgers Insiders, Keith Sargent and James Cratch. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Steve Politi from NJ Advanced Media. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant, our recruiting special, which means while we have James Cratch, as always, with us, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Todrick Hunt. Our recruiting expert joining us for the first time in, uh, well, way too long, Todrick. Glad to have you <laughs> it's in. Been, yep, yep. It's been a while, man. Good to be with you guys. You know, certainly an exciting time of year where, you know, the team gets some new players and we get a whole new outlook on what they're doing moving forward. So, exciting times. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And we're heading toward next week is uh, early signing day, or as Greg Shadow now calls it, signing day, because <laughs> most of the players <laughs> will sign. We're going to dive right. into that. Uh, you know, before we started on that, though, I really want to talk about a story you did a couple weeks ago on recruiting black athletes in this time of social change, because I thought it was just a, both a great story, uh, was really well reported, a lot of just fascinating quotes about, you know, how, how recruiting has changed because of what's going on in, in, in society, in the world. Uh, I, if you haven't read it, folks, I want you to read it, please do. But, but just the general synopsis, Todd, I'm, I'm just curious what you know, in reporting this column, what surprised you? Was there anything that you didn't know that you discovered while you were doing this? Well, I didn't necessarily know that that four out of five recruits, you know, that Rutgers were were recruiting were, were African American. Wow, uh, I mean that's that's a pretty big number, um, you know, and obviously the impact that um, they've had on the program has been huge. Uh, it's, it's certainly a, a polarizing topic. Um, you know, uh, my editor actually uh, brought the idea to me. And initially, it wasn't something I was um, too excited about taking on. Obviously, it's a it's, it's a heavy load, you know. Uh, it's a touchy topic. Not too many people necessarily want to go there. Um, but then I called him right back and said, you know, let's get on this and let's do it for those reasons. I mean, who else is going to write this story? And I thought right. it was important. You know, I, I knew I'd take some slack, you know, but at the same time, I, I knew a lot of people uh, would enjoy it. I thought it would be an up, uplifting piece. And it was important, right, to, to actually, um, you know, discuss it. Uh, the big monster in the room in 2021. It's a different day, a different age, and how does this affect recruiting and and the questions that that these parents have uh, for their kids, sending their kids off to college. Can they wear their hair the way they like to wear wear their hair? Will their coaches be there to support them? You know, will they be ingratiated into the program and made to feel comfortable? Um, And uh, I think we got all those questions answered. Todd, one of the things that you mentioned, the four out of five African-American players that you know four out of five recruits are african-american it's certainly not four out of five coaches in college football are african-american so i guess when you talk to recruits what was their kind of response about the fact that there's a disparity still well i think for the most part um the parents were were better sources for this article in a lot of ways simply because they're thinking of you know, the questions that maybe some of the recruits are not, Um, you know, simply because it's their children, they want them to be protected, obviously, in this day and age when they send them off to college. Uh, So for for the recruits, per se, they weren't necessarily as concerned as as I'd say the parents were um, and just being forward thinking and just looking how, you know, society affected uh, affected different things. Uh, I thought Devin McCourty, uh, who I interviewed for the piece as well, brought up a good piece about 
you know, Shiano pulling up some former guys that played on the team and giving them some coaching opportunities. But at the same time, he did also say that he'd also like to see more black coaches on the roster and moving forward. Um, and that is not a Rutgers issue. It's pretty much a football issue. When you look at most of these staffs across the country, you'll see predominantly white staffs. And a lot of times, you know, the players on the team are predominantly black. So um, it's not a Rutgers issue necessarily. Uh, it's just more of a generational thing. One, one other thing that, that Devin actually touched on that I didn't use for the piece is just a lot of times these guys are just in the same clubhouse, same network. And when they get jobs, they call, call on guys that they know, you know, and that, but you have to be intentional about it if you really want to forge some change and give, give some young brothers opportunities to get on these staffs and mold these young men who they can relate to. All right. Again, fascinating story. If you haven't read it yet, you should dive in and, and dig it up and find it and read it. It's a, it's, it's a great, it was a great story on an important topic. All right. Let's talk about this current class, Todrick. We, uh, now, we've all heard it's a good one. If you're looking at the rankings, we're 21st in the country, fifth in the Big Ten, according to 24-7. Uh, for someone who hasn't paid any attention, give me the, the view from 30,000 feet with this class. I mean, uh, what makes it so strong? What are the strengths? And maybe, you know, what is it lacking or what does it still need? Well, the quarterback, you know, obviously is, is, is the big glaring thing. We don't, we don't associate Gavin Wimsatt with this class simply because he's all, already at Rutgers and, you know, played in some games. But he is a member of the class, and he's probably the best one that Rutgers ever brought in. Now, do they develop him and get him to where he needs to be, where he can come out next year and, you know, affect some change? Uh, we'll see. But he certainly has the skill set, um, the tools. I know they're excited about him. Uh, I've heard he's a quick study. I hear he's, you know, uh, very personable. Uh, he's good with the guys. They've all embraced him. He's got a great attitude. Um, and he's a great teammate. So that's how that quarterback room was able to, to kind of survive because he didn't bust in the, in the quarterback room like, hey, I'm the guy. He was very right. humble about the way he went about his business and learning and, um, you know, learning from uh, Vidral and, and, and the other quarterbacks in the room. And, um, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do on the field. But I think the best actual football player in this class may be Moses Walker from Erasmus Hall uh, over there in Brooklyn. He's just, he's just a, a play on Sundays guy. You know, explosive, read, react, physical, man amongst boys on the field, uh, can make plays in every single facet of the game. Just an absolute monster. And uh, Thomas Amankwa, who was who played at Rutgers this past weekend, I thought and made that his own personal showcase playing in a regional championship game at his future school in front of his future head coach. Uh, I mean, that was an awesome moment. And he used that stage to absolutely tear it up, you know, whether it be in a passing game, you know, running the football and defensively. I even like him at corner. I think he could be potentially a pro corner down the line. Um, and, and offensively, I get some Reggie Bush vibes. And this is the kid that they didn't even offer until wow. his senior year. Right? He's a safety, a right? He recruited as a safety? I think he's one of those guys that you get on campus and you figure it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love, I like him defensively and he fits the mold of that type of guy that could go to the league, but I also like what he brings offensively. Right. Mm -hmm. And Ruck, Rutgers right now is struggling to move the football. So you've got a guy that you can utilize in the passing game, you know, a little bit in the run game. You just get him at the football and allow him to make some plays with his feet. So he's certainly an interesting piece that was brought on late. Wasn't a big offer guy, but I think eventually could prove to be one of the better guys in the class. Todrick, seven offensive linemen in this class. 
this is going to be Rutgers hopes the the big group as well. We look, we've talked about it every week. It seems every day almost how the offensive line is the big issue that's kind of holding this program back. Big picture, I want to know what you think about the whole group, but specifically Jacob Allen, top recruit in New Jersey, Hun school kid. What can you? What can he do next year? That's the big question I think a lot of fans have. They know it takes a while to develop offensive linemen, but the last few years we've seen true freshmen start games for Rutgers on the offensive line. Is Jacob Allen a guy who can step in immediately? Well, we saw uh, back in the Anthony Davis days when they got him on campus, big-time recruit offensive lineman, the way Greg did it was he worked him in at offensive guard first so he could get his feet wet. Right. So when you play guard, you got help on both sides of you. Right. You're playing in a small space. So there is room for error. Right. If you're a big physical kid that can get off the football and create space, a lot of times a coach will take a guy like that, insert him there so he could get used to the physicality of the game. Right. And then eventually, if he's a tackle type branch outside the tackle where he plays on a little bit more of an island. So I could see potentially Greg getting Jacob involved uh, in a role similar to that. Um, this new kid that they picked up, Dante Chen, he's also an offensive lineman from Cypress Bay, um, a, a Jamaican young man that they just added on. He's actually the lowest ranked recruit in the class, but he's actually similar uh, to Jacob Allen. I mean, and, and I just love the way this kid run blocks. He's a guy that you can put in a tight space and just tell him to move forward uh, and move some bodies around. So, um, and, 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 and the theme of the class too is these are all big, massive athletes. I mean, the Amir Stinnett kid, I mean, he could end up being a really good right tackle at, you know, he's what, 6'5", 380 pounds. I mean, so obviously he's got some uh, conditioning and they'll do some retooling with him. But as a finished product, I mean, he could be a massive man. Nelson Monungro, uh from Union City probably has maybe even the highest upside of the group at 6'7", 285 right now, only a three-star recruit. Uh, just came to the country from the Dominican Republic a few years ago. So football is a new sport to him. So uh, he's really green, um, yet and still a power five recruit uh, with huge upside. Joe DeCroce um, had a lower body injury, played at Don Bosco Prep, transferred back to Northern Valley for his senior year. Uh, I really like this young man, and he's a hard worker, a really strong weight room kid. He's 6'6", 295 pounds. Uh, he's the guy that I think can really make a difference uh, ultimately as well. But if we're talking about high impact, you know, right out the box, you know, which of these guys can help this team, you're probably looking at Allen playing inside at guard um, and just creating some holes while he learns. All right, so the, the other position we need, obviously, on, the, on this offense is just playmakers, Todrick. Uh, you know, if I looked at this class right now, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot of guys who, you know, you know, uh, who might be able to step in right away. Do you disagree? I'm obviously Samuel Brown, uh, four-star running back um, out of uh, Glenside, Pennsylvania, Marion Brown, the, the receiver from Florida. I mean, what, what are you looking from that position? And are, are there guys there that you think can make, can make an impact? Well, I really like Samuel Brown. I mean, he is just a, a complete running back, and he looks like those guys that plays on Sunday. He's a humble young man and just a talented offensive player. Um, the thing is, in speaking to his mom for the black recruiting story, at the time she told me that he would not be signing in December. Uh, he was all in with Rutgers, but ultimately she wanted him to get his full high school experience. So I don't know how that um, affects his ability to potentially play early, you know, or whether or not she'll change her tune, he'll change his tune. 
Um, but ultimately, he's the type of player that I could see finding some kind of way to impact Rutgers, especially with Isaiah Pacheco leaving, uh, leaving and moving on to the NFL. Right. Uh, Marion Brown, another uh, four-star type receiver uh, out of Florida. Those guys always bring that Florida speed, and when you can run faster than everybody else, you always have a chance to get on the field, obviously. Um, Rashad Rochelle may be the absolute wild card of the bunch, probably the fastest guy in the entire class. Uh, just an absolute jet. Played some uh, quarterback in high school. Was more of a dual threat, but athletically he's just one of the, the most talented players in the entire country. He'll move to wide out at Rutgers uh, and be – a piece for Gavin Wimsat to work with two guys that know each other from the quarterback circuit competing at camps and came into Rutgers with a buddy system. I actually wrote, wrote an article on that a few months back as well. Uh, so they got a couple guys that you can look to put the ball in their hands and hope that they can produce some things. Uh, Thomas Amanco at the top of my list, just the guy that's absolutely just dominated this past year, 29 touchdowns on the ground over 2000 all purpose yards. So I'm sure they'll be looking to get the hometown kid involved. Todrick, obviously we've talked about Wimsat a lot, and obviously you've mentioned him a couple times. I'm just curious, long-term, like big picture, what do you think about Rutgers quarterback recruiting? I've had this question from a lot of people because they didn't bring a scholarship quarterback in in 2021. Obviously, Wimsat is 2022. I don't believe they've offered a single quarterback in 2023 yet. I know it's going to be hard to get someone to come here with Wimsett here. And I also think it's going to be kind of heightened the intrigue because obviously Marco Lanez at Hun is going to be one of the top quarterbacks in the state in a while. So I guess, how do you think that's going to work, I guess, for Rutgers and for other schools in the transfer portal era? Do you think we're going to get to a point where you only bring in your big ticket scholarship quarterback once every three classes as opposed to one a year? That's a good question in the, in, in the transfer portal era because these guys, you know, they just don't stick around. They don't stick around anymore. And you really have to sit and think, you know, of the value of having a number of these guys on staff. Something because only one guy uh, can obviously play at a time. You know, the quarterback position has always been a tough one for Rutgers, right? To get that one guy that can really change the game with his arm, you know, with his mind. Um, that can really run the offense, you know, not make a lot of mistakes and get get things buzzing. They've never really had that. You know, Wimsat is probably their first opportunity to have that uh, in New Brunswick. I remember when they were recruit, re- recruiting five, six guys in this class, and they ultimately always wanted Wimsat. So to get the one that you actually wanted uh, in college football recruiting, especially at the quarterback position, is a huge thing. And they wanted him because he has a, a huge arm. He's a tremendous athlete. He makes good reads. He's a quick study. And he's also a leader and a kid that other people like. So I think they hit the jackpot there. Now, do they develop him into what he could be? You know, it's up to them to do that. Um, they, you know, Rutgers have struggled developing guys in the past. And, uh, but, but they haven't had a lump of clay like this one. So, I, I mean, it's really uh, exciting to see. I think they've galvanized the class around this young man. And you see him on Twitter uh, retweeting guys, you know, really looking to have guys join him in his fight to make Rutgers a competitive program in the Big Ten. 
All right, so this is what everyone wants to know now. As we get into next week, what possible uh, additions or signing day surprises are there? Will there be flips one way or the other? I mean, the, the three three names I'm seeing a lot are Jaden Bellamy, uh, Jaden Gould, and uh, <laughs> the kid the kid from Union whose name I will not try to pronounce. I'm hoping that you, Davison, give it to me, Todrick. How do you pronounce it? Right, D- Davison Igbenosu. Right, Igbenosu. So, so- Right, right. As far as Bellamy, I, you know, Bellamy right now is, is committed to Notre Dame. I don't see him uh, changing tune uh, simply because uh, the gentleman, Freeman, that was promoted to head coach was actually a guy that recruited him. He's comfortable with him, and he is centrally in their plans. Uh, so I see him staying put despite his father, uh, Jay, playing at Rutgers and, and then going on to play in the NFL for 14 years. Uh, Gould uh, as well. Um, a lot of people are touting Nebraska since he jumped back on the market from USC. Um, it was a coaching, obviously, transition there, and he wasn't prior, prioritizing that transition. Uh, didn't quite feel comfortable there anymore, you know, going all the way across the country. Uh, so now he's certainly reevaluating his options. The thing is, Rutgers never – I don't want to say never, but towards the end of his recruitment, before he even picked his school – uh, Rutgers didn't recruit him quite as hard as they, they did initially. Um, and then even after he committed, um, they, didn't, they didn't recruit him. Whereas, you know, uh, where you have a situation like Davis and Igbenosun, when he decommitted, they continued to recruit him. So, you know, the recruiting room will show you who they want by their actions, right? So I don't see Gould ending up here. I know Nebraska right now is, is a major player in his recruitment. He's got a ton of other options as well. Uh, but I don't see him ending up at Rutgers and Davison as well. I spoke to him a couple of days ago. He's got his final official visit coming up this weekend to Ole Miss. Uh, he's taken four others, was committed to Rutgers uh, for a bit before opening up his recruitment. His brother, uh, Desmond, is a Rutgers Scarlet Knight. So it seemed like, you know, Rutgers had a big advantage there. But since he decommitted, you know, around that time and moving forward, it just seems like it's been Ole Miss even though he's seen some different places, I think the consensus is that's probably where he ends up ultimately uh, after taking this official visit. And he saved it for his last one, which sometimes means something. Right. Yeah. Rutgers needed someone to hire Lane, Lane Kiffin to get, to get that kid, I guess. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, the, the, the kid just got better and better every single year. Um, and in speaking to him, he was actually just named, uh, uh, well, they don't call it the army all Americans anymore, but they just call it the, uh, an all American, but, he made one of the two major All-American games, um, and, uh, and, and it's well-deserved. I mean, every single year, he just got a little bit better, you know, improved. He talked about adding an inch and about 15 pounds of mass going into his final year, and he really just owned it and went out there and did some, some great things. You see a lot of offensive highlights. It'll be interesting to see how that translates to the defensive side of the ball, which is primarily what he'll be expected to do here at Rutgers, but that athleticism, uh, you certainly can't doubt that that young man can ball. All right, so uh, Todd, we're going to dive into true or false now. I don't know if you, if you know the rules here. We're going to go through some topics, hit a true or false, uh, then we'll come back at the end and discuss them. You in? Okay, I'm in. Let's do it. All right, let's hit it. Here we go. True or false? Offensive lineman from this recruiting class will start next year. Todrick, you go first. True or false? Did you say two? One. One offensive lineman from this recruiting class will start uh, next year. I say true. 
Cratch? I say true. I will also we, say true because we have yeah, Delta in 2020, Zelenskis in 2021, so keep it rolling. It's got to be true or, or we're in trouble. True. Uh, you you, you got you to be able to show, right, when you land top kids that they have an opportunity to get on the field if they work hard. Yep. You know, and you can't have the top – I mean, just in my, my personal opinion, you don't want to have the top recruit from your state coming to your school and somehow, somehow not be able to showcase them in a position where, where you should. Although, essentially, that transition – is usually a lot quicker at the skill positions as opposed to the offensive line. The quicker you are to the line of scrimmage, right, the harder right. it's supposed to be to make that transition to the next level. So, right. you know, certainly an uphill climb, but they got some athletic guys that I think can compete and some big physical guys, like I said, that they could just stick inside and create some space. All right, true or false? One defensive player from this recruiting class will start next year. Dodger, what do you think, true or false? Uh one defensive player will start. Some holes in linebacker. I will say, yeah. I mean, I think I I I I think Moses Walker is just a man amongst boys, and he's a guy that they will find a way to get on the field somewhere. Uh, he's just a guy that, like I said, will play on Sundays, plays with his hair on fire. You know, great humble kid. But, man, when you watch him on the football field, it's like watching a college guy out there with high school guys. There's nothing he can't do. Uh, so I certainly believe in his ability. And obviously, you know, losing some uh, at the linebacker spot should open up some things for him. All right. We'll go through. Scratch, what do you think? I forgot this is true or false. <laughs> I'm not good right. for this, for hey, this look, game. <laughs> no, man. <laughs> there, there, are, there are no rules with recruiting. We know that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just making sure. Yeah. I will also say true. Um, a guy who I'm kind of curious about is Kenny Fletcher from Del Rand. We talked about it. Six sacks in nine Big Ten games this year. The pass rush has to be much better in 2022. And I just wonder if a, if a guy like him can flash off the edge. Maybe he gets used in a similar way to how they used Muhammad Ture in 2020, and he comes in on third down packages to pin his ears back. And eventually I... his way into a start. I love that you hit on Kenny Fletcher at Cratch because he's a guy that I was actually probably going to miss on. I absolutely love his ability. I mean, you talk about a 6'4", what, 235-pound kid. Watch his highlights and the work that he does at receiver. I mean, he's so fluid. I mean, this kid can really, really run, and there's just so many different options on different spaces that they could utilize his ability. You see him in the passing game. Defensively, he can do everything. Turn speed to power. You see the physical hits. You know, he's always adding a little extra on to that. He's got a crazy motor. Uh, so certainly, Cratch, he's, he's another guy that I could definitely see impacting Rutgers next year, whether it be on defense, offense at tight end, or special teams. All right, here's another one. True or false, this Rutgers team took a serious hit in the transfer portal since the end of the year. Kratz, you take this one first. Is that true or false? False. False. Todrick, have you been like, you're following it? Have they lost enough players yeah. for you to be concerned? No, I, I, I'd say false. I mean, you know, as far as the quarterback room, we all, we all knew what was going to happen with that anyway. That's what happens right. everywhere around the country now. You're not playing. You take off and try to find a spot somewhere else uh, to play. And I think um, – and, and maybe a couple guys may be a little, a little addition by subtraction. Um, but it certainly hurts when you lose role players, but that's what you recruit for, right? So they'll be bringing in guys, 
you know, from the transfer portal that they can plug and play, um, or at least ideally that's what they hope to do, um, and replace some of those guys and look upwards and onward. All right, true or false, Greg Schruckers will extend Greg Shiano's contract in 2022. We've got some, we've got some crazy numbers floating around there. Cratch, what do you think? Is Rutgers going to have to answer with, a, with an extended contract for the head coach? I will say false. Todrick, what do you think? Get Ooh. some Mel Tucker money here, true or false? <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Jeez, I'll tell you, man, it's just such a weird thing, right, when we talk about bowl games and five wins, six wins, because it's yeah. really not much of a difference. But, man, on paper, it just changes everything, it right? Does. So if we're talking six and six, I say, oh, absolutely. But I think you still do, right? Because, I mean, what else do you really do here? Uh, I mean, he's shown – I think it takes a, a really specific person that understands the, the, the politics in New Jersey and just the way things kind of move to get this thing shaken. I mean, we saw it with Chris Ash, who came to Rutgers and obviously struggled. Uh, he struggled probably more than anything, just sort of culturally, you know, yep. because he wasn't, wasn't the great fit and obviously didn't have all of the relationships. Uh, you know, Shiano obviously checks all those boxes. Uh, I think you can argue he still has the program moving in the right direction. Uh, Would have been better, obviously, to make a bowl game. And I think we could have been a little bit more confident in saying that. Um, but ultimately, uh, with things moving in the right direction, recruiting going well, you've got a quarterback of the future. Tough to not be excited about the future of Rutgers football. I think so. I think it's possible. I'm going to I'm going to only I'm only going to say false because I think that uh, uh, it, it something has to happen for it to happen. But um, I think it'll be a topic. Absolutely. So my right. thing is false. Oh, go ahead, Crutch. It's just with Greg. It's like even after next season, he'll still have five years left on his deal. Yeah. And I just think, like, look, I think the rule is always you got to have five years. You know, you have to extend. I don't know if Greg Schiano, you know, not not to it's apples to kumquats comparison, but like Jim Harbaugh was going into a contract year at Michigan. He didn't get an extension until the end, and then now he's in the playoff. I don't think Greg needs to have five years on his deal to go recruit effectively. I think Greg is one of those guys, it's pretty obvious he's not going anywhere. Right. Right. Very true. Very true. All right. I mean, it's certainly a a good stance to have and a a good way to look at it. Um, And and then ultimately, like you said, I mean, kids can still come in and get out of here before he would leave under the contract that he's on now. So, So maybe not. All right, true or false, Rutgers Hoops is due for a breakthrough. It'll happen tonight against number one, Purdue. Kratz, seems like a long shot. Do you think they'll play well tonight? I do not. <laughs> false. Yeah. I think uh, Purdue Todd. is coming in here to – I have a feeling it's, it's not going to be pretty. First time Purdue's been no chance to win a game at number one. Uh, what do you think? What, have you, what do you think? Have you watched enough basketball, Todrick? Did you, did you yeah. get any hope for them tonight? Yeah, I've watched some. I was really excited to see what, what the program would, would look like this season after, you know, such an exciting year last year. Um, you know, you hate to sense a, a bit of a backslide, but there's just too many things, just too many deficiencies on this team. I can't see them pulling it out tonight. Yeah. Uh, well, let's just dive into that then. This is a, the, this is a, 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 a as Brian Fonseca wrote, it seems like the season uh, – make or break week for this for for this season right now for this team Purdue tonight then Seton Hall like 23rd or 22nd on Sunday 
uh, might be this team's last stand. I mean, it's, I, it's hard to see how they win both, but it's also hard to see how they recover from going 0-2, and, and then they'll be 4-6. and six. Uh, I, I mean, we've talked a lot about it. We're all surprised where this team is. Cratch, I don't know, maybe, maybe we were wrong to be surprised. I mean, looking at it now, those, those, those departures seem to be looming pretty big. I mean, when you watch this team against Illinois, uh, and they get just absolutely clobbered by a very good Illinois team out of the road, it didn't seem like they had a lot. They didn't give you a lot of hope there. No, I mean, look, I think in hindsight, our, inst- our initial instinct was correct. Losing Jacob Young and Miles Johnson, big problem. Mm-hmm. I think that Steve Peichel had, did his best to promote uh, his group. I think that Steve Peichel, obviously, Steve, in, in the future, undersell, over-deliver. That's a pretty good motto <laughs> to go on, I think. He oversold and is under-delivering at this point. So, yeah, look, I think in hindsight, we probably should have seen this coming. We should have trusted our gut that losing an elite center and a – great guy off the bench who was instant offense, played great defense, going to be a problem. The thing is, even if they go 0-2, they're going to play Central Connecticut and Maine. They should win those games, you know, knock on wood. They should. And then you're 6-6 going into the Big Ten schedule. Maybe you got a chance to fight your way to the NIT, but they've got to get one of the next two. I think that it's unlikely to happen against Purdue. You got to th- – th- this is – I think Seton Hall is the test. Like, if they want to have a season, they've got to rise up and find a way to beat Seton Hall. Because the Big Ten's not as good as it, as, it, as it was last year, certainly. A lot of weak team. I mean, Nebraska stinks. They play them twice. Penn State stinks. There's still a lot of opportunities to get wins. No, they no. Didn't... But, like, but remember, this is also a Rutgers team that every – even in their best – their two tournament teams – Yeah. They were always good to go out to Penn State or Nebraska or, and just lose inexplicably on a Wednesday night. I thought Jacob Young was just uh, is, is, is a huge loss just from an energy standpoint when you look at this yeah. team. I mean, he would just bring that fire you know, off the bench and that defensive intensity. And that's the type of things that other guys feed off, you know, on the hardwood. You know, guys bending their knees, you know, slapping the hardwood, getting down and dirty, you know, getting on the floor for balls and just really bringing that attitude. And I feel like some of that is missing from this team. Uh, And that's not always so easy to replace, you know, and a guy that can – that brings that and can also play and get you a couple buckets and defend. So, uh, you know, Rutgers, hey – Sometimes you exceed expectations so much that they just grow to the point. And, and then when you're actually on the bandwagon, hyping them up yourself, like Pykele did prior to the season, you don't set yourself up for success. Just like Steph Curry going into this uh, game last night, you know, you got all these analysts talking about him, you know, making 16 threes in the game. And it was funny watching him uh, in his, his interview prior to the game. And, you know, Steph is a really, you know, laid back, cool, humble guy, but he actually said it's a possibility, right? So he heaped all of this pressure on himself to go out there and lay a stinker last night. Sure, he dropped six, which for anybody else is like a career night, um, but he had a rough game. So you never want to, you know, oversell as far as expectations, especially when you're the coach of a team. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, let's, let's dive into some Rutgers Insider questions. Uh, as always, thanks for subscribing. 
uh, if you're an insider, we've we've gotten some uh, new people in here this last couple of weeks. It's been great. So we ask, obviously, over our, our tech service for questions for the podcast. And uh, we've got a bunch of them. Uh, well, here's one for you, Todd. It begins, Tony from Lawrence begins, TH is amazing. So it's a big fan. Wow. Uh, oh, great. He, he wants to know, any commits that might be particularly wobbly? Is there is there a hmm. kid who you're like, oh, this uh, this might this might not be uh, signed in in blood on um, Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever it is. Uh, let me let me just uh, pull up this 2022 list so I can make sure. Just run down everybody here. It's funny because I think by this uh, point, once they're once they're wobbly, they're they're almost certainly gone. In a lot like, of I mean, I know there were obviously concerns earlier in the recruitment of Amarion Brown, who's out there in Florida, and it's always tough yeah. when you recruit these Florida guys simply because they get so much traffic out there uh, from all of these different coaches and coaching staff members. But as of right now, I haven't heard anything, you know, recently regarding that. And he's uh, still involved in the class, shooting down this list here. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, all of these guys would be characterized, as far as I know, as solid right now. Uh, one skill, skill position guy I didn't touch on too much uh, was a Rashad Ro- Rochelle. And – I think for a guy like him to come in here with, with, with a ton of quarterback records, like if you see what this kid's done with his arm and he can also throw the football. Um, we talked a little bit in the past about him potentially having a little two way game with uh Winsap and maybe getting to throw some passes in this offense or some double passes and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would also be an, an, an interesting piece uh, offensively when you talk about young guys potentially uh, competing early uh, next year as far as those wrinkles and things of that nature. And that's what I like the, the prior year, not so much this year, but the prior year and watching Sean Gleason and sort of the way they competed and did anything that it took to win games, right? You never knew what was coming, uh, the trick plays. So I think Rashad Rochelle could fit into that element in that way of helping Rutgers win next year. But you're hoping that Rutgers doesn't have to go to as much of that, you know, in, in, in Greg Shiano's third year with the program. Right, right. We follow up on that, Todd. I'm curious what you thought about the offense this year. We've talked about it ad nauseum, a lot of heat on Gleason. I mean, when you were watching it, you know, as a, as a football guy, what, what, what did you think? Oh, I'll tell you, man. I mean, how many times can you, can you, can you throw the ball to the boundary? You know, <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, there, there wasn't much of a semblance of a vertical passing game. You know, threw the ball a lot east or west, probably as much as we uh, they threw it vertically. Uh, you, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle when you can't get vertical in the Big Ten because that's the way you got to move. And the only way to do it is to get big, strong guys who can compete in the trenches, create space, and win some of those battles up front. Um, it was strange watching uh, Rutgers against Michigan. I thought they really took it to Michigan in the second half of that game along the offensive line. It looked like they found something really had those guys on their heels, and they were bending guys back, competed with fire. Um, and it seemed like that sort of dissipated, you know, obviously as the season, you know, moved along, and then you end up facing a team like Ohio State that kind of uh, knocked them back down to earth. Um, but that's where it starts, you know, up front and then getting guys so you can get the ball to to create some plays. All right, Kratz, here's a question for you. Uh, curious of the NIL breakdown among all sports at Rutgers, high to low and average free sport compared to other Big Ten programs. Uh, obviously, there was some big news this week. Maybe you can mm-hmm. feed in, weed in, uh, weave in Gavin Wimsat as his NIL deal that we all expected. I mean, what, what do you see out there, generally speaking? Yeah, so obviously there's um, 
there's no set like I don't have a hard number to report. Um, I think it's something that it's NIL is is like people are kind of making up as they go. I think one of the things that's kind of uh, developing is is NIL payments like a, a private thing or an educational thing. I think there's a couple of lawsuits going on where news outlets are suing the state university basically saying, because the way NIL works with the NCAA regulations. All right. So I am a, baseball player at Rutgers and I get paid five grand by 7-Eleven to have a cardboard cut out of me and my own special sandwich. You know, let's, let's just go with this uh, on the river road. Quick check. I have to tell what, Rutgers. What's on your sandwich, Cratch? <laughs> it's bacon, it's prosciutto, it's load up all the oh, meats. Nice. Nice. Okay. Let's go. Fresh. All right. So anyway, I got an NIL deal to pay me five grand. I'm at Rutgers. I have to report to, I have to get it approved and I have to tell Rutgers, Hey, I'm getting five grand for this. At other schools, it's happening. And people say, okay, like we should be able to file an open records request to find out how much all of these kids are making. The schools of course are saying that you can't, it's, you don't have to turn it over or some schools are hiring a third party. So the report goes to the third party that goes to them. Because obviously you can't Oprah the private third party vendor. So it's a, becoming a big thing. You, and in some cases you have people who are running to tell you how much money they're making because it's a recruiting thing. Other places they're not. If I, from what I understand, I'm talking to people, I would say, I think most NIL deals at Rutgers for athletes, the vast majority are topping out at modest four figures. I think that, and probably even less for that, you know, the guy, you know, go puff that like online food service, like those guys were getting like 10 bucks, you know, it was, that was just, you know, everyone signed up for that. No one was make, getting rich off of that. I do think Gavin, it, like, look, Gavin's going to change a lot of things at Rutgers if he becomes the player everyone believes he's going to become. I think Gavin Wimsat, these NIDLs, from what I understand, they're the, he is the first at, Rutgers athlete to get serious NIL money. What are we talking? Give me a, give me a ballpark figure. Any ideas? I, I mean, think five, it's probably – like if he stays here for three, four years, he's probably gonna. I would think we're getting to the six figure range. Oh, all right, good stuff. Yeah, I'll have a cratch for lunch and some of that. Patrick, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll tell you, man. It, it, one th- w- w- the one area that I'm curious to see is just just how these guys react to this pressure of yeah. basically being you know professional athletes playing in college. You know, and especially at the quarterback position, a uh, thinking man's position, you know, uh, you're playing against these exotic defenses that start out as one thing and end up as something else. Um, to have a whole nother, you know, subset of things to think about from a business standpoint will certainly prepare these young men for the future. But I'm just really uh, curious to see how he handles this moving forward because this is also new. Yeah, I mean, look what happened to the kid from Ohio State. Gets gets a seven figure NIL deal, and he just he's in, he transfers to Texas. Texas. I mean, it's just exactly. it is amazing the the stuff going on. Uh, yeah. and, and it's just a, and, and honestly, the NIL is it's just one of those things, right? Like the NCAA likes to roll out things and then kind of think about it later. Just kind of like you know how they gave out this free year, and then ask the colleges to just sort of figure it out. 
right? And ultimately, it really killed the high school kids because all of these guys are coming back with guaranteed roster spots on top of competing with the transfer portal, right? And if you're some coach that has to win now, win this year, what are you going to put your money on? You know, a 22, 23-year-old kid with Power 5 experience who you can plug and play or a, you know, 17-year-old kid that you got to develop who you may not even be here to reap the benefits of. Yeah. You know, so the NCAA just kind of does whatever they do and then expects everybody else to kind of go, you know, figure out how to work these things out. And it's the same thing with the NIL, um, where we're seeing it being utilized in different ways. I know it was important to uh, bring it back again to Rashad Rochelle and talking to his father. Um, That was a big recruiting chip. His father wanted to ensure that his son would be able to take advantage of any type of NIL opportunities, any and all. And uh, Greg Shiano was on board, um, his father said. And that was certainly a sticking point and one of the big reasons why he chose Rutgers. So uh, it's definitely meaningful. It'll be interesting to see the way it's utilized. You know, coaches can't be involved in finding deals. Uh, I actually asked Shiano uh, straight up when I was uh, interviewing him for my black recruiting story, you know, are you guys – at all involved in finding these opportunities and maybe using them, you know, in recruiting to get players to come to the school. And um, he clarified that they're absolutely not allowed to do that or to take any part of that, obviously. So um, it's all still new. And I think different schools uh, will find, I think the schools will find different ways to sort of utilize it over time. All right. Here's a uh, recruiting question from Gus in Flemington. We just say she's an RU alum by marriage since NJIT didn't have a football team, okay? <laughs> Neither did Seton Hall, but Crash wrote about that uh, today if you want to read a funny story. All right. Uh, how many high school players does Rutgers typically recruit over the available number of spots in the class? For example, there are 20 open roster spots for the incoming class. Does Rutgers recruit double that number? and hoping half will stick, triple the number. Uh, Todd, do you have a sense for that? I mean, how, how do you handle that uh, when, when you know you've got a certain number, but you obviously want to get uh, the best kids at the right positions? Yeah, I mean, th- that's one of the things I think that Greg has, has really done well, um, you know, since he's returned to Rutgers, is just manage, manage the roster. Um, I know when they first came in for that 2020 class, they front-loaded a lot of guys, and there's a lot of different ways to do it. You can gray shirt guys and you know, a lot of guys come in, uh, come in mid-year, uh, and there's different ways where you could have their scholarship count towards the previous year or the following year. And I think they've done a real good job flipping a roster in a short period of time by sort of mastering, you know, some of those, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, say loopholes. Um, so typically, I mean, you see a class like the 2020 class, I think that ends up being over like 30 guys or so. Uh, but the majority of those guys were like mid-year guys and transfers, transfer portal guys. Um, one thing I do think, though, moving forward that, you know, the NCAA should do is, is probably um, create a minimum number of high school players that these colleges sort of have to take simply because these guys are being phased out. You know, you see it now. Most of these guys are dropping at least a level. You see a lot of FBS kids going on to play FCS ball. You see FCS kids not getting scholarships at all, right? Because remember, uh, a lot of those seniors got the free – high school seniors got a free high school year, and you gave all the college kids the ability to come back if they want. And then, again, they're, they're competing with the transfer portal that has a couple, you know, thousand guys in there. 
you right. know, so when you're a 16, 17, 18 year old kid, you know, you're not looking quite as succulent and, and, and attractive, you know, as a guy who's done it, you know, and who's done it elsewhere who, and who you could just plug and play. So again, the NCAA has got a, a lot to figure out, uh, but unfortunately it seems that they've uh, passed the buck on a lot of these things. Uh, all right, question from Donald Forbes, workers legend. Oh, <laughs> coming in. How about that? Oh <laughs> my God! Yeah, I'm about to say it's a name that I'm sure you you know. Thanks for thanks oh, for joining yeah. us, Donald. Uh, he said that he wants to know there are a number of job openings in college football. With Temple being the one that might have the most impact on Rutgers. Do you know if any Rutgers staff members have applied, particularly Fran Brown, and their odds of landing the position? Cratch, we've talked about this a little bit. Have you seen any updates on the Temple coaching situation? And are there other jobs that might uh, become an issue for the Scarlet Knights? No updates. It's been very, very, very quiet on the Temple head coaching front, which I think is probably attributed to a couple things. One, new AD, new president. You know, so I think that there's not a lot of – Also, it's Temple. <laughs> yes, I was going to say that, that it's Temple. But I, I really think – there's a very good chance that the next Temple head coach, and we'll get to Fran Brown in a second. I'm sure Todrick has some thoughts as well. I think there's a very good chance the next Temple head coach is in the NFL right now. I know there are a couple of us, you know, former Matt Rule assistants who are with Carolina. Obviously, looks like that might be going south on Matt Rule, although I kind of – I kind of hard to believe that two years in, people are ready to jump ship with Matt Rule. But I, I've also heard, too, that Al Golden, you know, when Al Golden was connected to UConn, that was kind of a shift for me. Because what I had heard, obviously going back to 2019 and the Rutgers coaching search, Rutgers never – Al's name never came up. I don't think Rutgers ever thought about him. Talking to people who know Al Golden, they said he would come back to college if it was a – big-time job in the Northeast. Basically, Al was of the mindset of, I like the NFL. If I can go to Syracuse or Virginia or Rutgers or Pitt or BC, I'd go there. But other than that, I'm staying in the NFL. Then he got tied to UConn. There seemed to be smoke there, so they hired Jim Mora. It seemed like maybe he was broadening his horizons. I have heard he would have interest in returning to Temple. Don't know if Temple has interest in bringing him back. So the fact that it's been so quiet – and there's been no news to me, leads me to believe there's a very good chance that their future head, either they've, you know, they've identified exactly who they want and they're just waiting for that guy's bowl game to be over, if it's assistant, or they're going to bring someone back from the NFL. As for Fran Brown, I, I just, I don't think he's in the mix right now there. I think people can debate whether that's the right move or not. Obviously he's had a lot of uh, Temple alumni or in the NFL, you know, calling for his hiring, expressing support on social media. I don't think Rutgers fans have to worry about him leaving. No. What do you think? Yeah, Bobby? I mean, t t Temple would have to, you know, really come and get him, you know, he's, you know, fought for that job in the past and, you know, um, there's a lot of history there, obviously, with the board of trustees and and, and all and all of that. Uh, Temple would really have to come and get him and show them uh, that they want him and uh, you know sell him pretty hard on it. I don't see him going and, and, and fighting for that opportunity. Um, I do know that uh, he's super excited for the challenge here at Rutgers and to continue to improve this program and specifically work with Greg Schiano. Uh, I think those two guys have developed a, a really good relationship where they work off one another. And he is 
and I think Greg is doing a lot of, um, Fran is doing a lot of work here that I think will help him in his pursuit of a head coaching role in the future. And I think he's comfortable uh, in that space right now. The other thing I'd add too is obviously there's only 130 FBS head coaching jobs. So, you know, if you get offered one, you, you kind of got to take one, especially if you've never been a head right. coach before. Temple right. is not the job it was, you know, two, three years ago. You know, this right. is not, not the job. It, it, it's yeah. one, they're going to be financially strapped because they're going to be paying Rod Carey several million dollars to, to not be the coach. They're going to have to pay off his assistance too. Two, they're in the A. The AAC has fallen apart. You know, Cincinnati. Like it's it's literally Temple and a bunch of teams in Texas, basically. You know, like yeah, how a- is Temple going to go into Texas, or how is Temple? Hey, congrats! Like, come to Temple, South Jersey kid. You get to go to North Texas every year. Like. That's not going to – I just don't think it's as attractive of a job as it used to be, which I think also plays into the situation. And on top of that, I think the culture there has changed. I know when Fran was there, uh, he was a big part of the lifeblood of that program when it came to recruiting, you know, coaching, um, and the, co- the culture in the locker room. You know, it always seemed like Temple would always get these, you know, good – you know, tough guys, good athletes, but usually they were missing something, right? When it came to, you know, checking all of those boxes, right? But they all had that chip on their shoulders simply because of whatever that one thing that they were missing that didn't allow them to get that Rutgers offer, uh, but allowed them to get that Temple offer, right? That dog, that tough mentality. Um, And when Kerry came in, he completely changed the culture there. I know players weren't able to, you know, play music, you know, uh, in certain situations or certain kinds of music. It was just a completely different culture. And that, that's, that stinginess, that grittiness, that kind of, uh, you know, infused the program throughout those years where they had, you know, off and on success, I think is lost. So it's almost like starting all over again, which makes it a little bit, uh, you know, less of an attractive job in conjunction with obviously the conference that they're playing in. All right, fascinating stuff, gentlemen, on, on all of this. Thanks for all the questions, everyone, from the, and from the insiders. Uh, if we didn't get to yours this week, try again next week. We promise we'll, we'll give it a go. Uh, all right, let's, uh, what else do we got here? Uh, tough loss for win, women's soccer. I, I watched the game. Uh, it was, uh, really could have, maybe even, I don't know if it should have, but certainly could have beaten uh, Florida State Cratch. Uh, season ends in this College Cup. Not a surprise, I guess, but, man, it was right there. I, did, I don't know if you watched it, but I did. Man, a bunch yes. of opportunities. bunch right of opportunities. Right there, especially the last 10 minutes, you know, ferocious finish obviously Florida State I believe won the national title so they, they lost the national champion uh, great season for them obviously but tough to lose it that way uh, they had their chances you know that one kind of that header kind of hit off the crossbar it kind of just hung up there in the air for a second yeah you, know, you, kinda, you thought maybe that was going to be the moment they were going to finally nail, knock that one home Hey, I say it, by, by, by far one of Rutgers' greatest teams. And you, you know, you just hope looking forward that they can recalibrate, and I'm excited to see what they bring forth next year. Oh, absolutely. All right, wrestling piling up wins against uh, soft schedule. Can I use that word, or is that not the right word, Cratch? Uh, yeah, I would say soft schedule. I mean, look, I think it all kind of – you know, this is a situation where having a not – 
you know, loaded schedule. It makes sense. There's a lot of guys in that program that just really didn't wrestle last year. I mean, you, the pandemic season was completely and totally strange for wrestling more than anything. They had four dual meets, no open meets. They had a prolonged COVID shutdown, and then it was the 10 guys go to the Big Ten. So you've got a lot of guys in that program, you know, young guys who wrestled, you know, one bout, you know, in 2020, 2021. So I think it made sense for them to load up on, on dual meets to get guys in the lineup. Uh, business is about to pick up, though. They're hosting Army at, at Jersey Mike's Arena Friday night. Um, they should beat Army, but I think it's going to be a good scrap. I think if Army can pull an upset, you know, a, a couple of spots, we could be looking at a 5-5 bout split when it goes to bonus points. So uh, th- they should beat Army, but, you know, the, the cadets are going to come down. They've got some ranked guys. They're going to be a real test. And then the Midlands at the end of the month, and then it's it's Big Ten dual meet season with Ryder and Princeton also looming. So they're about to really get into it. The schedule's about to get a lot tougher, and that starts against Army. I hope I would hope Army's good in wrestling, right, Todrick? I mean, that would be a you, – you, you'd, you'd expect – you expect, but I I tell you, man, there's 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 really no sport like like wrestling. I mean, did you wrestle just, in high school? Did you wrestle? I I didn't wrestle, but my son did wrestle. So he wrestled for I want to say one year, and he wrestled for a couple of years uh, in middle middle school. And I'll tell you, man, it's just <laughs> it's just the most intense thing being on one side of the mat, staring into the eyes of another father. And your kids are on the mat getting into it. Your kid pins his kid, and you see the defeat in his eyes. You jump up on that mat. You're just super excited. There's no better. Maybe, maybe getting a sack or a strip fumble comes close, but it's that type of feeling when your kid pins another kid. It's just, it's just awesome. And the energy uh, that this Rutgers uh, wrestling program brings just, just year after year. You know, unfortunately, we've had the, 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 the pandemic, which has slowed some things down and things, you know, maybe made some things change course, but, uh, you know, these guys compete and they got a national wrestling program up there at Rutgers. Yeah, absolutely. What's the closest you've ever come to wrestling a, another parent at a, at a sporting event? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I was always parent slash coach, you know, so I was one of, those, uh, one of those real fiery guys. I think uh, uh, maybe we played uh, Silk City. Uh, my son's eighth grade year when he was with uh, the Madawan Huskies. We had a, a bunch of top kids in the state on that team. And Silk City's out, out of Patterson, and they have a really talented team as well. And I'll tell you, with, with, with two really good, tough, talented teams to meet on the field, there's just really no give. So that almost mm-hmm. boils over into a full, full-blown riot, uh, which I was kind of, kind of the center of, just sort of pumping <laughs> up our guys, getting them ready to compete. So... We actually had to leave early uh, before the game ended uh, because it was becoming such a volatile situation. Wow. That's definitely one of my uh, – <laughs> one of our closest calls. Oh, but I'll tell you, uh, uh, Rooks was on that team, uh, a kid that Rutgers ended up uh, recruiting. Uh, and now he's at the University of Michigan. We had a couple guys there, a couple guys on that squad. Uh, Taiwan Malone was on our team, and another guy mm-hmm. that Rutgers uh, recruited. He's at Ole Miss now. Uh, a bunch of names. Oh, oh, Jaden Gould was on that team. Jaden uh, Gould and, and Jaden Bellamy, two two DBs that are also Rutgers legacies who Rutgers recruited. So um, that that was certainly a, a fun day. Absolutely. All right. Well, look, Todd, we, we, thanks for coming on. We certainly will not wait this long to have you back on because it was great. We really enjoyed your insights. Uh, good luck next week. I know it's I know it's your it's your uh, 
it's your busy week of the year. So, uh, so enjoy it. And, and we look forward to reading your stuff. Looking forward to it, guys. It's been my pleasure. And uh, let's go get them. All right, Cratch, I'll sign off for, for you as well. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back after a sunny day with some more basketball to talk about uh, soon. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com insider.